we ran a session last week just with some of the junior consultants around that saying, yeah. you're already halfway there. You're actually yeah. the best salespeople going around because as you said, yeah. you listen, you engage, you provide expert opinion, you're consultative. All the great skills you want from a good salesperson, you've already got. You just actually have no time to sell and no yeah. process and you're yeah. not used to doing it. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. My guest in today's episode is one of the few sales enablers to apply his trade in the professional services industry. He did not only have the challenge of introducing systems and processes, but to establish a sales culture in a business without dedicated sales resources. How he did it? Let's find out. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Grant Thornton's Head of Sales Enablement, James Fielding. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome to have you on the show. So for those that don't know you, like, what's your background? What do you do now? And what does Grant Thornton do? So in terms of my background, probably very similar to a lot of people in sales. And I there's a good mix of sales and marketing. Mostly for me, that's within in-house roles, within professional services. I guess within a 20-year career, I've also worked in consumer branding. I've consulted on B2B data. And I've also spent a bit of time running my own marketing consultancy. So I guess all that leading up to my role now as Head of Sales Enablement at Grant Thornton Australia. That's great. And what does Grant Thornton exactly do? So we're an audit, tax and advisory business. Lots of number crunching, lots of compliance support, along with expert advice around risk, financing, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. technology and much, much more. If you look at it, I think we've got roughly 100 distinct services delivered by 1,300 people nationally. Wow, wow. And globally, how many people are there globally? Lots. I'm not sure the numbers off the top of my head, but it's around the fifty to 60,000 mark. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's impressive. When we first caught up and you told me about Grant Thornton, I thought it was really interesting, like the journey that you went through with sales enablement at that organization, because obviously a quite mature business that didn't have a existing sales enablement function within Australia. How did you really start out setting that up and what was your journey like? I think you're right in terms of it was a mature business. So if we look at our salespeople, which are our partners and our senior practitioners, they were supported already. So they, you know we were delivering content, we had event marketing, they had proposal mm. support and also sales coaching. So lots of things were in place. There was lots of activity going on. Mm. But what we didn't have, we didn't have any supporting technology. So mm. no Salesforce, no LinkedIn mm. Sales Navigator, no Marketo, no IntraHive. There was no sales process. Simple things like no playbooks, reporting wasn't in place, no lead scoring, no management of data. So all these, I guess what I would call critical sales infrastructure wasn't in place. Mm. So as a result, as a business, we were kind of flying blind. And we certainly weren't as efficient or effective as we could be. The data piece is a big challenge oftentimes, because if you don't have that sorted, you oftentimes don't really know what to base your decisions on. And you're either guessing and make big mistakes and move into the wrong direction, or you are by chance right. And that's great, but you can't really replicate the success. So that's really something that I come across over and over again, that data piece needs to be sorted first. Yeah. And, it, and it's often completely underestimated. It's always an add-on or an admin task, mm. where for me, that's the critical 
I guess, the bones of things and of those, mm. as you said, in making informed decisions. If you don't have yep. that data point, as you said, you can guess and be correct some of the time, most of the time, mm-hmm. but you can't replicate that on a consistent basis. So what are some of the data points that you guys have focused on in formalizing your strategy? To be honest, the starting point was just getting basic segmentation data. Do we have firmographic data? Do we have demographic data on the people on our clients, but also our prospects and then mapping our penetration in certain segments of the mm. market? So that was the first thing, like get the basics in place, making sure that we understand essentially where we play and where we want to play. Mm. And then from there, it was other data points around the behavioral data, which we bring in for the lead scoring. Mm. What are people interested in? What content are they engaging with? And again, using that segmentation data, this pinpoint what's resonating with different people. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a marketing department too? It's an interesting kind of combination. So I sit within what you'd call a marketing and sales team, which in traditional world would be very different to how we sit, how it's situated. So I would say our whole team's almost sales enablement. So mm. we have a marketing team. We also have a business development team, but the business development team are sales coaches. They're coaching, they're guiding, they're giving people our actual client-facing sales team, all that support that they need to go to market. And within that, I have a smaller function, which is pure what you would call sales enablement. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And in terms of the collaboration of what you did in formulating your strategy and the marketing department, did you guys work closely together to develop those segments and to agree on an ideal customer profile and that kind of things? Yeah, definitely. We work very closely. So we've got, I said, head of sales we we'll get head of business development and marketing we have a head of digital we have myself head of sales enablement and also a head of cx and we all work very closely together so there's lots and lots of crossover we all work together across to be honest every kind of decision every kind of initiative we work very closely and by that very nature we have to but if we look at things like this segmentation we would look at that segmentation data we look at the lead scoring we all look at that together we'd formulate plans Some parts would be implemented by the marketing team. So in terms of the content plan that delivers to that persona, that sits with them. But on the background, I'm working to make sure that we have that data point, that we have the reporting, that we have a process in place, that we're continuously improving and continuously looking at that. Mm -hmm. Got it. So in the very beginning, you get the data piece sorted, you do the segmentation and actually inform your strategy. What's next? What was the next step in your journey? From that, in terms of what we did, so we looked at it from a sales culture point of view. So we're thinking about a professional service firm. It's very different to your traditional sales organizations where you have young, hungry salespeople, commission-driven. That's their day-to-day bread and butter. Our salespeople aren't salespeople. Right. It's, not, it's not their primary skill set. The sales activity they undertake, it's managed in between delivering work and running a practice. Yeah, yeah. So for us, it was about how do you develop a sales culture We want to have the right behaviors. We want to have the right technical skills. Fundamentally, what we want to do is encourage people to sell. We want to encourage them to sell more efficiently and effectively. We essentially just did that. We looked at the sales culture. We said, well, actually, what are the traits of a high-performing sales culture? Not just within professional services, but what is the traits of the highest-performing sales cultures across all businesses? Mm. And then we said, okay, well, these are the traits, and where do we sit against those traits in terms of our people, processes, and technology, and resources that we have? So in some areas, we were you know, pleasantly surprised. Some was quite sobering. <laughs> I guess what that's allowed us to do is essentially have a starting point of this is where we are. We want to obviously move ourselves up that maturity curve mm. in terms of that model. And it allows us to set the initiatives depending on that. What do we need to do to move ourselves up that 
maturity model and we keep referencing that, seeing where we're moving and what's working, what's not, and where we can make improvements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So much to unpack here. I don't even know where to start. In terms of the traits that high-performing sales organizations have in common in your space, what are some of the traits that you've identified? Some was around you know, managing sales as a process, the yeah. simple things, you know, having a data-driven mindset. We talked before about the importance of data, actually embedding that within the business that people, A, care about data, they understand it, and they know mm -hmm. how to use it. And then you know, improvement via coaching yeah. was another one. And then having the technologies and support that actually guide will enable the business. Yeah. And in terms of technology, like what were some of the key pillars that you looked at? In terms of what other people have around the technologies they use or... Which technologies you've identified being crucial for your business to basically establish that sales process? Yeah. So I think for us, not having a CRM was a, was a, was a huge gap, but I think we had to start there. So we, we brought in Salesforce from that and at least that was a starting point. And then we looked at so if we have the nature of the business that we have, we're lucky that we have, as I said, we've got 1,300 people delivering services across Australia, and we have a, enough people doing work with a lot of good people. We have established relationships throughout. So then we looked at how can we leverage those relationships. So the technology we've brought in has been able to support that. So if we think about LinkedIn Sales Navigator, mm. where people are able to unlock those relationships and make that, whether it's outreach or whether it's just basic support of knowing who knows who, at the pointy end of the sale or in terms of a proposal, they have that information. So we looked at the traits of a high-performing sales culture. We also then had to say the way that we sell, what are the tools and technologies that will leverage where we have that competitive advantage? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's quite an interesting dynamic in the professional services space that you often don't have dedicated sales teams and that the people delivering the service are actually also doing the selling. I think that's super interesting in terms of actually changing that culture and basically training people to do something that is not their core capability and might not even be something that they ever aspire to be good at. To be honest, a lot of people despise it. You know, it, it, it <laughs> despise is a strong word, but you know, we have a situation where you know, sales has always had a bit of a bad name within professional services. It's considered a little bit low rent. If you look at a lot of professional service firms, they won't even call it sales. They'll call it business development. They'll call it marketing, anything other than sales. So if you think about that from a change point of view, so you've got people who are delivering services, who are experts in that service who have often been very successful in selling that service over the years. Yeah, yeah. And you're coming in from the side, giving them these tools and resources and support and a new way of selling. You can see where there would be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was the uptake like in terms of the kind of new culture that you're trying to establish? Like, were there a lot of challenges along the way or? Yeah, there was a lot of challenges on the way. So if you think about it, as I said, that from even just a professional service point of view, there's already enough challenges. But if you magnify that challenge and the fact you've got five or six different service lines that sell in different ways, sell different products, different audiences, the way you would sell an audit to a corporate is very different than the way you'd sell a tax return to an individual. Yeah. And we have everything in between. But look, no, the take-up has been good. What we've found is the take-up is the best when it's not obviously not being pushed on the business. Mm. So we respond to them. So when there's a need, when there's a trigger, and we can partner with the business, 
to actually support them on what they want to achieve. So mm. I think where we haven't had success is when we've had a broad brush. Hey, guys, this is how you should do it. Here's some tools and resources. Here's some training. <laughs> Enjoy. You know, Where we've had great success is when we've sat down, we've worked with the business. We essentially sat with our sales team. We're looking at their sales processes, where the challenges are and where they need to be enabled and where they need to be supported. That's obviously where we've had the most success. And that's essentially the model we take now. We've got all these tools, resources, playbooks. We've got all these things. They exist. And now it's a matter of working with the business to make it work for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I can see how consultants and people that are essentially due to the nature of their role are really laser sharp focused on helping people would actually be really good salespeople without actually realizing it because they don't have that hardcore kind of old school sales mindset of being the closer, but they're actually focused on providing helpful advice and initiating conversations around projects that way. I can see how your sales force of several thousand people that aren't actually salespeople would be, at the end of that process, really effective salespeople. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So we ran a session last week just with some of the junior consultants around that saying, yeah. you're already halfway there. You're actually yeah. the best salespeople going around because as you said, yeah. you listen, you engage, you provide expert opinion, you're consultative. All the great skills you want from a good salesperson, you've already got. You just actually have no time to sell and no yeah. process and you're yeah. not used to doing it. And I think that's a part of when I said before that sales had a bit of a dirty name or bad name within professional services because that's their perception. It was of that pushy old salesperson. They didn't want to become that person. But when you reframe that conversation, so actually what you're doing is already selling. Yeah. You just need to do that to more of the right people on a more regular basis. That's right. You have to lose that picture of a salesperson caricature in your mind to open your mind to the profession, I guess, <laughs> in that context, if you're resistant to that change. Yeah. And I think once that fear is gone and you know that you're comfortable in your own skin, you yeah. can start using these tools, whether it's content or whether you're leveraging LinkedIn Sales Navigator to navigate these relationships and outreach to people. When you feel you're not pushing a product on someone or not being sleazy and you're actively helping them to overcome a challenge, yeah. it's a very different mindset for people and yeah. you know, obviously a lot more comfortable to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you go through the whole strategy process, you've got the data sorted, you start training your consultant slash salespeople in how to be helpful in a way that it actually generates new business for Grant Thornton. Now the pandemic suddenly hits and Melbourne goes into lockdown. What now? What happened? I guess any crisis either brings out the best or the worst in people. Um, for, <laughs> for us, Every man for himself. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> to be honest, for us, it definitely brought out the best. As a business, when the pandemic hit, we quickly responded. So, you know, we're up and working from home straight away. There was complete transparency from our leadership. The business took action to avoid redundancies. So from mm. a business point of view, it was a real feeling that we we're in it together. Mm. Everyone was in it together. And that flowed into, obviously, from the sales perspective as well. So from a sales perspective, we hit the phones. Yeah, you know, We were talking to clients, not to sell, but to support. You think about it from Within our client base, we've got lots of people who are under huge amount of stress. Mm. Yeah. Their businesses, their markets have disappeared overnight or they have to navigate tax changes or the financing that they had secured is no longer there. I guess all the advisory work that we do, they're suddenly in high need. So what we did as a business is we worked hard. We just yeah. were on the phone having conversations all day and that continued. And it's, I guess it's still continuing now. It's obviously calmed down a bit. 
but we did adapt. I guess a couple of other adaptions that we had or changes that we made, we created new tools like diagnostic tools for working capital so people mm-hmm. understand that was the big challenge at the time. Do they have enough money? Do they have the working capital to continue their business? We developed diagnostic tools. We certainly ramped up the content with things like JobKeeper and all these tax changes. We're across all of those and we're providing that expert insight as a content to our client base and our prospects. We obviously, like everyone else, we move from in-house events or in-person events Mm. and we move them to webinars and podcasts. Mm -hmm. So we're able to move fairly quickly in terms of ramping up the content, developing tools, moving to offline engagement. And then I guess in the background, what we're trying to do as well is say, well, actually, can we get our sales team, which again is our partners and our senior practitioners, can we get them more skilled in using that sales technology to support not just the way they sell, but also the way that they manage those relationships. Mm, okay. What were some of the ways they did that through the whole social distancing? What were some of the behaviors they had to change? From a pure sales point of view, I guess professional services have been very heavy on events. In the past, that has been the way that people engage. That's the way that thought leadership is shared. There's a heavy reliance on that and a heavy reliance on building that networking and leveraging relationships. So mm. when that's no longer an option to you, how do you do that in a virtual environment? So they had to change the way to deliver content. They had to be on the phone. They had to be more nimble. So let's say you've got a great piece of thought leadership rather than just having an event on that and getting people in the door, you then actually have to get your salespeople distributing that to the people that need it the most. Yeah, yeah. And whether that's via conversation, whether that's via email, or whether that's via LinkedIn Sales Navigator, we had to change that model. Absolutely. I think that's a really interesting dynamic that suddenly the use of relationships and the leveraging of relationships becomes so much more difficult because relationships still rely so much on face-to-face interactions. Or at least it's the most immersive version of a relationship. If you can sit with somebody face-to-face and you actually exchange thoughts and as a salesperson advice to support that person. But then suddenly, if you have to do that remotely, you might be less likely to actually get in touch with that person. And that's really, I guess, where content becomes more useful because it allows people to bottle up or it allows your team to basically share that knowledge and that useful advice in a really succinct manner for those stressed out clients that have to deal with all kinds of other issues to engage with. Yeah, absolutely. I think content is big for us. As a professional service firm, we're not short on great content. What we share is extremely valuable to the client base. So content's always been part of our strategy, but obviously more so now with the pandemic. I think the other factor in that in changing, I guess the use of content is around the changing buyer journey or the path to purchase. So 20 years ago, someone would have a professional in mind that have a small pool of professionals they call upon, and they would use that network to essentially either directly buy work or get a referral mm. for work. Now, obviously, the path to purchase is very different. They can research people online, everything from they'll research that challenge and see who in the market is across it. They'll see who's producing content on that, who's a professional within that area. Everything from validating who they should speak to or if they have been given a referral, using that content to validate should they have that meeting. Or even to, I guess, on the end of the process, having a look at, let's say you've got a proposal, you've got a number of people you've put forward, having a look at their profiles and saying, does that match up with what they're telling me? They're telling me they're an expert in automotive 
for an example, but I don't see anything on LinkedIn. I don't see <laughs> I don't see anything they've done in the past. I love that. Is that your real name? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole information seeking piece, we spoke about that in a previous episode. I think that is something that a lot of sales teams still neglect. There's so much information out there that you can easily tap into. I think not doing that is a big mistake. Absolutely. So you touched on the remote sales effort, the content formats that you utilize. You mentioned you've developed different tools for people to use. What was that one tool that you mentioned? The working capital. So essentially, this is kind of a DIY diagnostics. You can answer questions to figure out Mm -hmm. where your position is. We have similar tools around that in terms of data security or you know cyber security so you can do an initial self-assessment so you know that initial briefing or that initial consultation that might have been done in person you can Mm. develop that into a diy diagnostic tool and then bring that into whether that's to support that person or whether it's lead generation yeah but that you can take away conversations and have as a a tool Mm. and then how you work that with bringing your experts in at the right time Okay. So your salespeople would actually share those kind of tools directly with prospects to start a conversation or how how was that content utilized? I think as a business, we're very good at supporting our clients in terms of whether it's content, whether it's the diagnostic tools, that's where people feel comfortable and people feel safe. So, you know, they're really good at managing client relationships, really Mm. good at supporting them. And that's where, to be honest, 90%, maybe even 95% of the effort goes. Where I come from a sales and album point of view is I'd love to see them use that content, use those tools out there in the market, prospecting, developing leads, and using it as a way to have more conversations with more people. Have you observed certain trends within the professional services industry that you've been able to replicate or improve upon? Well, I think the big trends in professional services, are, from the professional's point of view, it's obviously extremely competitive. You've got to have a razor-sharp focus on which areas you service, who you mm. service. I think from a sales point of view, the couple of trends are, as I said, around the way that people are buying. The path to mm. purchase is different. People are researching online. They're mixing up their advisors. They're happy to change. There's also probably a demographic change within professional services as well. Is there's lots of gray hair. In, you know, working at the moment and there's a younger generation coming through. So there will be almost a changing of the garden and a changing of approach as we have a number of people move out of the business and younger people move up yeah. as well. But I think if I look at those changes for us, it's from a in-house sales enablement team, what it's done is it's created impetus. So you've mm-hmm. got to be sharp. You've got to be more focused. You've got to be more specialized. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have your content that aligns to that. You've got to target the right people. You can't be going in the market as a generalist anymore. You've Mm. got to have a razor-sharp focus. So what that does, it creates an impetus for people to work with us and Mm. utilize those tools and and resources and support that we provide. For us, like everywhere else, there's a bigger focus on social selling. Mm. That has been another trend that didn't really exist five, 10 years ago. People would send the old newsletter out, but they wouldn't be, I guess, distributing their, whether it's firm content or their own content, they wouldn't be distributing that from their own channel via social media and using that to engage with people. Mm-hmm. And that two-way engagement, that's a big change. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of consultants kind of attempting to build their own brand on social media? Yeah, I think within the broader professional services space, but also within our firm, we have people that do that. And some do it really well. Mm-hmm. They are domain experts. They do have that expertise, whether it's at technical focus or whether it's an industry focus. 
We do have people building their brands within our own business. We mm. have the industry experts who are our go-to people around mm. that industry, and they would have very strong brands, whether it's food and beverage, retail, across the board, we have a number of experts within that space. Mm. I guess the challenge as a professional service firm is so do other firms. Yeah, yeah. So everyone is kind of becoming more niche and coming more focused, whether it's service-driven or whether it's industry-driven, but you're competing against other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's where the core brand comes into play, right? Like your actual business and finding that overlap between people's individual brands and your service brand, like and see how you can merge that and how you can enable that as well. Because you're on the other end of the scale, you want to avoid that people simply or blindly just repost content that you've pushed out without any comment or insight attached to that. And then on the other end of the scale, you have people who completely do their own thing and don't post anything that's related to their employer. And I guess you have to have a happy medium that benefits both. Yeah, definitely. And that's exactly what we try to achieve. It is a tricky one. So I think, as you said, you want to encourage people to be themselves. You want to encourage them to build their brand. You don't want to get in their yeah. way. I guess most people would say this if they want to give a bit of a plug to their own firm. But look, I think we're fortunate that we have a collective group of partners who share similar values, mm. similar service model. We're known in the market for caring for our clients, for having that level of support, a level of closeness that you probably wouldn't get within the big four organizations, but we're still big enough to have that capability. So it's kind of for us, it's almost like that Goldilocks position yeah. where you have those relationships and you have that support and that kind of that genuine care and you're not too big. Do a nice, happy medium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that's also crucial from a cultural point of view, right? Because if you deal with an organization that's too large, it's really hard to shift the needle on that front, right? Like you did. We've definitely been fortunate in that where we've got an organization that it's got the scale, it's got the capability, it's got the capacity to invest, mm. but it also is not too rigid where it says, oh, you know, we've got this sorted. Come yeah. in, be a cog in the wheel and just keep things moving. We've got a business who always wants to improve and is happy to make change. As we said before, whether that change happens at the pace you'd like, that's another question, but at least there's a support from the business to make that change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you look back at your experience launching the sales enablement function from scratch, anybody who goes through a similar journey, not the exact same journey, but a similar journey in professional services or possibly some other B2B industry, like what advice would you give them and the things that they should really focus on and the things that they should avoid? For me, I think what you should do is what we did in terms of looking at the culture. So mm. rather than tactical things, you'd have a list of 100 tactical things you could possibly do to make a change. I think taking that step back and looking at what are the traits we want to see, where are we sitting, that gave us a really good starting point that mm. allowed us to be systematic and clever in the way that we move things forward. So I definitely recommend that. And when you do that, be brutally honest. There's no point sugarcoating where you are. Be ruthless and be honest of where your weaknesses are, where the challenges lie, and then they put you in good stead. I'd also say get your sales process in order. So for us, we do have multiple services, very different services, but what we created was one single sales process that aligns to how we want to sell in the way that we sell professional services. So we go from target, connect, nurture, qualify, propose, very broad stages. But what that's allowed us to do is build capability and understanding at each of those stages. So for example, that 
connect and nurture stage, what are the behaviors you want to see at that connect and nurture? What are the tools and resources you have at your disposal? So by breaking that up, it's also allowed us to compartmentalize all the things that we need to improve and see where those challenges lie. And then I guess from that, once you understand where you're at and where you want to get to, the next thing is picking one or two things to do really well. It's a big list of things you can make improvements on, but I would take one or two of those things and see what would quickly move the dial. What's the low-hanging fruit? But I guess the most important thing, and I probably haven't mentioned this enough today, is around talking to the salespeople, which for us was or is our professionals. Taking the time, don't have the arrogance that you can come in and tell people how to sell and how to sell more efficiently and effectively. You need to sit with them. You need to understand their process. What are the other considerations? What works, what doesn't for them specifically? That's been critical. It is a challenge. I think, what shouldn't you do? If I was being honest, I'd say don't try and do too many of these broad brush actions and kind of try to launch it for everyone. But and sometimes you don't have a choice. I think for us, we're almost on our second or third iteration where yeah. we had to do things in a clunky way first yeah. to get people buying and get people using it to refine it and work it with them. Let's say, for example, if we think about simple things of like how do people connect and nurture with people. Yeah. We could have sat with each of the different groups and mapped that out for a year and a half. <laughs> then <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and finally launched it, but it was better to launch it as a general approach. Yeah. And then you get that real-life feedback of people using the tools and resources and the approach, and then you can start refining that. So for people out there, that's actually not an answer. It's telling you what not to do, but also <laughs> that sometimes you don't have a choice and it actually ends up working in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Before you actually can put it out there and get real-world feedback, it's really hard. And you might be aiming for perfection if you really try to nail something, but you're actually doing the opposite thing by working in the wrong direction the whole time. So I think what you're saying absolutely matches what I've been experiencing in terms of launching something as a minimal viable process or whatever it might be, and then iterating from there. Yeah, definitely. And I think even if I take one of our products like Salesforce to getting that in, we definitely took a minimal viable product there Mm. and was able to get that real life feedback, the real life examples. And that's made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. James, thank you so much. I've learned a lot. It's really interesting to hear how it works in other industries. Like I typically deal with the technology space. So it's really interesting to hear how it's working on your end of the world. If people want to connect with you and continue the conversation online, where can they do that? LinkedIn would be best. I'm usually there trolling someone or having a comment. So. <laughs> That's right. I've been enjoying your memes. <laughs> and so, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great to chat as well. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, James. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.